0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, a little bit different in these strange old times. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and joining me is the man in the know, Fulham fan, journalist,
0: what can't he do, frankly? Mr. Dean Jones, pleasure to have you in the building. Hello, mate, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate. And yourself? How's quarantine you? Yeah, it's OK, mate, obviously missing football, but I'm um, finding a few other ways to fill my time at the moment, mainly Netflix and a two-year-old um, child to keep me company, So um, and a pregnant wife as well, actually. So it is very busy, just um, no football, sadly. He's
1: just working away at all the other things that you were trying to <laughs> yeah, ignore. A lot, a lot of
0: life admin going on
1: over here. Absolutely. Well, you've been spending your time doing some research, Research on what's happening next with the season, and also you've been chatting away to the gaffer Scott Park, haven't you?
0: I have, yeah. I spoke to Scott um, last week, and um, he was in reasonable spirits actually. But um, just to be honest, as confused as everyone else, I was speaking to him because I was writing a piece for Bleacher Report about. Um, how a manager in London is dealing with quarantine um, and also spoke to the NYCFC manager to see what was going on over there just to do something a bit different. And um, Scott's very busy, that's for sure. Like he's he's constantly uh, trying to figure out things to do, things to plan, um, particularly with his backroom staff. But um, in terms of the players, he's, he's been pretty restricted. And I think from what he was saying, he's found it pretty frustrating because he really likes to be organised, Scott Parker. I mean, the style of footballer he was won't surprise you in this sense, I guess. He always had a plan of exactly what he was going to do before he got the ball. and um, Mostly he really is backwards. A... <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> but, um, you know, in, in terms of planning for, for his team, it's, it's very similar and... He hates the fact right now that he doesn't know exactly when the season's going to start. He hates he doesn't know when he's going to get his players back into training. So he's constantly changing his plans for when they're coming in and trying to get the players' personal programs to fit when they're going to come back together as a team. Now, I think we're probably looking at a mid-June start right now, maybe just before that, if if lucky. And then it's just going to be a really condensed fixture schedule. So... I think that was a bit of a conservative, Scott, as well, because you think we've got the games we've got left to play in this season and it's going to be squeezed into four or five weeks. So there's basically games. going to be two. Yes, yeah, pretty much two games a week for the rest of the season if this, if this all happens. So one of the things he said was that he's got his analysts working and people like that. And they're trying to get ahead on that, working on opposition and things because they know that, When they do have a start day, it's going to be intense and they're not suddenly going to be able to scout the teams as extensively in between the matches as they might have done before. So I think they're just trying to get ahead of the game, really.
1: We'll come on a little bit more to how the season's going to pan out, not just in the championship, but kind of in general. I think everyone's just desperate for any sort of football back. I know that I've become obsessed with the Belarusian Premier League. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's picked a, a Belarusian team and now is following them. But just to, <laughs> just to see on what you were talking to Scott about and a little bit more, And did he mention anyone in particular in, in terms of what they were trying to do or any of the players, You know how they were trying to make sure that those regimes were ticking along in, in what must be unprecedented circumstances for everybody involved?
0: Uh, he actually said that he's trying not to be too hands-on in that sense. A lot of managers I know are constantly on the phone and on Zoom and things like this to their players. Um, And while Scott is in contact with all the squad and and the team, you know, going through drills together, he said he's really conscious of the fact that he doesn't want to ring a player and not have anything concrete to tell them. He said that he just feels like he's wasting everybody's time. If, Say he rings Tom Kearney and he asks him a question and Scott hasn't got the answer. Scott's like, what's the point of me having the conversation? A lot of the questions that players are going to ask me, I can't tell them the answer because nobody knows the answer. So it seems like he's just staying in touch with people. Um, A lot of it seems to be over WhatsApp, from what I I know, in terms of um, just small talk. Um, I think he just doesn't want to be overbearing more than anything and I think there's a lot of trust from him I think he trusts the squad they've all got programs that they're getting on with I'm sure that the majority of our squad has a pretty decent sized gardens that they're working in yeah I'm sure they're all right <laughs> yeah I'm sure they're all right in that sense um so there's a lot of trust involved right now but that was the other point he he kind of hammered home Is like I, I don't know what's right but the good thing is that nobody does it doesn't matter if you've been in management for five minutes or 10 years it's nobody's ever been through a situation like this so they don't know how to manage it so that first game back nobody's really going to be sure whether they've managed it properly or not and it it could just mean the season has a very weird twist to it that, that's that's the other side to all this
1: i guess the proof ultimately will be in the pudding with this one it is just who is going to come out of this firing is 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 kind of testament mm-hmm. to who's done it right and who's done it wrong i suppose one of the big questions for me and one of the things that i've been thinking about a lot is how about players who are just coming back from injury or not necessarily the long-term injuries, the ones we're saying out of the season, I'm sure Terence Congolo isn't going to be suddenly back just because we've had a month and a half out. But people like Harrison Reed, who were sort of flitting around the edges of fitness and there was talk of them being nearly back. How do you think it must have been for them? Because they're obviously on a very strict schedule to try and make them work the right systems and, and, and kind of get all the things back to so when they are fighting fit again and match fit. And it seems like it's, it's a good thing in that there's a break for them to actually achieve that fitness, but also not being able to go in, use the facilities, get that match sharpness back must be quite a strange thing for them.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the frustration is that they haven't got the hands-on um, access to the players so that the physios can't actually check them out as they would be after every training session. So whether, you know, Harrison Reed will obviously have um, a very detailed program that he's following day to day. And he'll undoubtedly be in, in touch with um, the physios and whatnot uh, from Fulham about what he should be doing. And they're probably watching a lot of it themselves anyway. So in that sense, it doesn't matter too much. I think that the problem comes in that you can't monitor the players that are coming back from injury in the, in his, in the same way. And as you say, they would normally be stepping up the the pace of their training with the group, and that's just not there Um When we get back to the players coming into training, the first week, I think you're going to probably get three weeks um, to train before there'll be a match. I think the first week, um, from what I gather from speaking to other coaches, almost everyone is just seeing that first week as pure fitness. Um, They'll be doing fitness drills, they'll be doing bleep tests, they'll be doing all all the typical stuff that you do in a pre-season. It'll be an intense week. And then the second week, you'll start to work on things a bit more normal. And then the third week's going to be all about match sharpness. So that's when your focus comes. It's really not a lot of time. And I mean, I would be surprised if anyone who's had a long layoff is playing in that first game back, just because it probably seems a bit risky. Um, Certainly not starting that match anyway. But um, that's just my guess from what I've been hearing of other people. But um, yeah, as I say, it's unprecedented times and everyone's just taking it um, one step, at one day at a time and, yeah. and seeing you know, what they can take out of
1: it. I guess the flip of that is kind of everybody's match Matt sharpness is a little bit dulled. And so therefore yeah. it's a little bit maybe easier for those to step back into it. But I guess it's something we will kind of wait and see. Talking of things you've been researching, obviously you've done a big piece on football coming back and it's a funny one this because it changes every day. And I know you and I have been having conversations and we talked on Be Football Ranks about how it's very difficult to actually gauge things because one day the Spanish Federation will say something and three days later UEFA will say something completely different that contradicts it. But in terms of the championship, first of all, and I guess more generally as well, people are gagging for football, not only their own team, but football anywhere, really. How things look from your perspective right now we're recording this on Sunday night but it could be out of date by Tuesday
0: <laughs> honestly is it's crazy so everybody actually within football so at the Football League at the FA at the Premier League all these all these people at the f- clubs themselves most of the clubs themselves not every is working very very hard and with the intention to get this season going again and with the absolute utmost belief that that will happen like everybody intends for that to happen for us to get results out of this season the problem is that whenever you speak to anybody a bit more scientific about it they raise real doubts and say well it's not going to be possible unless you have real testing for everybody and at the moment from what we're hearing there's not there's not great uh, testing available for the general public so why are all these footballers going to have um, access to pretty much daily tests so that they can be around each other um, so that that is something that's a bit contradictory um, I'm working on the belief that the football league will start again I think that they will the players will the players have been told to make themselves available from mid-May and that in theory, the season will be up and going by mid-June. So that's what everybody's working towards. And that uh, end of July is the cutoff. That's the season done. Um, so I think that for now, as we speak in this moment, that's what I believe that everybody is working towards. There are some clubs in the EFL that are not quite as on board with it because they feel that if they see out this season, they could go bust. So there was one trail of thought um, that somebody was talking to me about whereby um, some clubs feel that by finishing the season now, they can be financially stable. If they are guaranteed a certain amount of money, they can just keep their players paid to a certain extent, and then they start next season and they can all go from there so the the feeling with like 10 to 15 clubs in the EFL is that they could go under as a result of playing matches this season. So there has been there has been some talk about there being no relegation from the championship and then leaving League 1 and League 2 exactly as it is so they don't play any more matches this season and they are all left financially stable. Now at this moment in time, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen because League One and League Two players have been told to presume that they are also going to be playing um, from mid-June. And I think that there will be clubs in big, big trouble further down the line because of the money and the revenue that they're not making from games. This game, Every game is going to be streamed in some sense, but you're not going to make anywhere near the sort of money that you are, do, are from a normal match day. So... It's really tricky, and from a Fulham point of view, I think the most interesting aspect of all of this is the fact that obviously we're really, really well positioned for the playoffs, and I think the playoff final, I I don't know what's going to happen with that. I really don't. It could be at Wembley. It could be that all three playoff finals are played at Wembley on the same day. That's one thing that I've heard. It could be that none of them are played at Wembley because if there is still... um, an NHS system that is under huge pressure at that time in London, then why would they put that extra pressure on them and that extra um, issue? Maybe they should play a game, the games in a region where there is less pressure on the NHS. So that's another dilemma that needs to be resolved. There's so many questions set up in the air. And the only one that seems absolutely nailed on is that from everyone I speak to tells me that the championship will go ahead. So I'm just like, okay, (laughs) okay.
1: Take it as it is. I'll
0: look forward to it. Yeah, exactly. It's a funny
1: one, isn't it? You know, obviously, it's it's hard to put anything in context given the wider scenario of the whole pandemic, and there are so Mm. many more important things at play. And there's always that line that springs to me that football is the most important of the less important things. I think it was drilled home by Rory Smith this week, New York Times writer who lives in England, and he wrote a thing that was, football without fans is nothing until it's everything. And I thought it really kind of hit the nail on the head that, you know, there was this whole backlash about there not being fans and how rubbish the atmosphere was and how the games were played at a lesser pace and all of this. And now people would kill for a game behind closed doors that they could watch (laughs) at home. And it's funny how the parameters change so quickly, but... I mean, yeah. you know, taking it a little bit outside the championship bubble for a minute, how is the rest of football looking at this and how have you seen, you know, you've been looking at people all around the world or the, the biggest leagues, you know, all the way down MLS, you know, all the leagues in Europe, what are the differing strategies? Is there like very obviously different streams of thought across these kind of leagues?
0: Um, well, Germany is the, the clearest thinking and sense of when they're going to restart this and how they're going to restart it. And that's because they have so much testing available to them that they are very confident that they can restart in the second week of May as their target. And that they'll have all their games played by the end of June and that it will be completely fine because all the players will know... They're clear of the coronavirus and there's no problems and the games will be behind closed doors. They've got a very clear strategy. Nobody else that I've come across seems to be anywhere near as far ahead as they are in terms of their planning and structure. Um, they, everybody else got really, like Spain, have got three tentative dates to start. Um, Serie A are just very vague. <laughs> They're like, oh, hopefully you start a June. Um, so everybody seems very unsure. I think that Germany just seemed to have nailed it because they've got the science backing them up. And I think that that's what everybody else in Europe is lacking right now. I think it's all very well having a clear plan and a theory and hope, but does it stand up? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like I've, I've read some really interesting pieces recently about why no sport is going to happen because it's just too dangerous to happen. It's, there's too much risk attached and, Um, part of me hopes that that's wrong because I do really want sport to return soon even if it is behind closed doors because like a lot of people I'm craving something like that um, just to give us something to look forward to each day Um, but if it's dangerous of course it shouldn't happen so it's just really really weird and I think while we all hate the fact that we can't watch our teams right now uh, we would all settle for a behind closed doors game. It's just also going to be really strange though to watch the rest of the season played out behind closed doors, yeah, like especially for us Fulham fans. Like, honestly, like, how do you think you're going to feel like these nail biting games? And I mean, you're quite lucky because you've got members of your family that support Fulham will actually care as well but a lot of people won't have that they'll be literally isolated and and kind of watching the games hopefully by the the time this comes around we might be able to gather in small groups or something to actually watch these games on tv but uh, they won't be on in pubs or anything like that so that's going to be a really strange feeling pushing for promotion watching it on your own on tv and having this detachment from a team that you are actually really, really attached to and you know that you would be there in these big moments. It's
1: a its a weird one. And I've seen a lot of kind of craving for away days. And, you know, I feel that more than anything. I think just getting on a train at 10 a.m. And, or 8 a.m. and wandering off to a, a random northern town for a day. It sounds <laughs> yeah. like the dreamiest thing in the world right now, right? But, yeah, I guess. It, I think the thing is that interests me about the behind closed doors thing is I remember watching the Valencia-Atalanta game at the Mistaya in the Champions League, which was maybe the third last game to be played before this mm. all closed down, especially in the major kind of tournaments. And it was behind closed doors and the score was ludicrous. It was 5-3 or something to, to Atalanta. Yeah. And it felt like a training game. And it was a Champions League round of 16 game. Yes, the tie was all bit wrapped up in the first leg. Uh, and so there is that element to it. But still... You know, to for it to feel so much like a training game in a, in a game of that kind of magnitude makes you feel that it's going to feel like that for Fulham games in the championship. And, you know, imagine the playoff final feeling like a playoff game and uh, feeling like a, a training game and the, the pace of the game dropped. I think that was the most noticeable thing of all. When when mm. there's no crowd, the pace the the game drops quite considerably. And also, yeah. I suppose, if the players are then wary of playing three games a week or two games a week or Mm. whatever it is then that's going to be even more intense because they're going to be like well i'm not going to burn myself out now because i've actually got to play three games in the next eight days so i think that's what worries me the most like is it is it kind of a no one insults a competition because obviously we're in unprecedented times like we say but is it kind of a it's not worth it almost to to play this out because of the way that it's going to be done being so sort of the antithesis of what we expect from the like business end of the season.
0: Yeah, I think from that point of view, you would say, oh, let's just leave it. But because of the finances that are that these club rely on so heavily, um, it has to happen if it can happen. And they do want some defined answers about who's going up, who's going down. They don't want to have to... The league don't want to have to decide that. They want the teams to just sort that out themselves because it just sorts out any, um, you know, anyone could front like a legal battle or something at some stage. We've seen it happen before in football over over lesser times than this. So somebody feels hard done by, they're going to try um, try and challenge. So I think they will try and play it out because of that. And I was actually thinking earlier on today that the weirdest thing as well for us, the next time we watch Fulham, we might be in the Premier League. Yeah. The next Fulham serious. game we watch might be against Man United. Yeah. Might we might not be at that. Be either. against Liverpool. That's the thing, you know, Serie A talking <laughs> no. about. No, we might not be at that. But but that's the thing like either way, like even if ne- at the start of next season there is obviously a chance there are no fans, but even if the next Fulham game we go to watch could be in December or January and we're in the Premier League, maybe 3 months into a Premier League season. Yeah. It's very, um, very it's very, that would be so bizarre that that would be really weird, but it's not totally unrealistic. The you know the conversations that are going on right now that could happen.
1: Absolutely. The the last thing I kind of want to push you on before we close this off, obviously, it's one of those things where all these episodes feel very short and sharp at the moment. But it's, you know, this is a an information episode, if if you will. And so it's you know best to get the information across. You are a transfer expert. It's your your job title. It's what you do. You know, on a day to day basis, is, is transfer related. And mm. one of the things that continually, you know, in, interested, I suppose, or, or intrigued me through this whole process is how are they are going to play out a transfer market? Because obviously this is complete chaos and we could see, yeah. you know, a 24 hour transfer market or, or something you know, absolutely <laughs> insane like that. What's the kind of noises being made around that? Or is it just so far away from people's consciousness right now that it's not even really being discussed?
0: I mean, obviously, it's being discussed because people have to try and begin to think of scenarios that can work. I think that in terms of when the transfer window starts, it will be as soon as the season is over. So for for Fulham, as soon as this season is over, so whether that's, what, July the 31st. Um, the Premier League
1: starts be... normally,
0: though, on August the 10th. The Championship starts well, on August the, the 5th. Well, this season, the next season isn't starting. Well, that's the other thing to remember. Like next season is probably going to begin um, towards the end of September. Okay. So that's, so have a little that's something. To... Yeah. Well, the, there's the the plan for UEFA is to play the Champions League in August. No, yeah, August. So there's a three-week window been put aside, which is going to be discussed to see whether this is even plausible. But the plan is to get Champions League done and the Europa League done in August in a three-week window. Um And then at the beginning of September, there's an international window. So you can't start the season then because there's going to be international games, which is weird in itself. Like they should probably scrap that. Um, But then, so you're pushed back towards the end of September for next season beginning. So I'd say that whenever the transfer window opens, um, that won't be an issue. It's when you close it. And, There's two ideas really. One is that you just let it run into the season and just let it run for like a month. Just give teams some time. The other idea is that you literally just let it run through to the end of the January transfer window so that we have four months of the season. Where you can just make transfers and teams are allowed to recover from this period um, in which they haven't been able to plan and they've had setbacks, which I think is actually really wise. I think the idea of starting is if we start the season at the end of September and then leave the transfer window open till... End of Jan. I don't see a problem with that, to be honest, in these circumstances. I think if, if they can get that across the board to work, I think it'd be quite cool. As a pure dramatist and with the, <laughs> NFL, and with the NFL draft coming up
1: this week, obviously, my mind has been ticking. And what I did decide <laughs> would be a really good idea was just one day where everyone is in one room. Like every <laughs> single club CEO and exec in one room, just signing deals, like left, right, and centre, and it's just a twenty-four yeah. hour window where everything gets done in like. Yeah, it'd be great for a club like
0: ours, who are actually quite secure financially. But if you're one of the teams that's counting every penny right now, you would not want it to be decided in twenty-four hours. I think, um, I think it'd be great value, and the whole thing filmed, the whole thing live on all the three. whole thing filmed would be great, wouldn't it? I tell you what, we should be quite grateful, to be honest, that that Fulham at a time like this are in a position like we're in because you think times throughout Fulham's history when the futures seemed very uncertain and there are definitely going to be, as I said before, 10 or 15 clubs feeling like that right now. Like, yes, we want the season to start and we miss it and all these kind of things but at least we know we're going to have a football club to go back to and that we're going to be quite a decent one as well so let's let's be happy about that I reckon
1: yeah and we'll see with a new stadium still well a new stand still in the offing even if
0: we might never go back to Craven Cottage as we knew it it might be the new look Craven Cottage next time we go you never know you never know your life <laughs> just to finish off
1: DJ I thought that you might want to you know in, entertain the Fulhamish listeners with your story about Dylan's new name for Tom and Jerry
0: yeah, and he came up with it himself. So anyway, I've my little two-year-old Dylan. He um, he's just got into playing football, and so I've taught him that whenever he does, he can do little kicks and he can do massive kicks, as he calls them. So whenever he does a massive kick, I've taught him to shout Tom Kearney. So he's been doing that, and he started watching Tom and Jerry. So I was like, should we put on Tom and Jerry? And I came in the other day and I said, what are you watching? And he said, Tom and Kearney, and I was like. Love I've it. got him. I've got love him, young. It. I've got him. <laughs> yeah, he's
1: absolutely <laughs> snared. There's absolutely nothing he can do. Yeah, I'm gonna have to give. Tweeted a... it.
0: Tom Kearney's liked it. Happy days. It's basically
1: the the first step on Dylan and Aubrey becoming best friends for the rest of their lives. So you know, it's, it's a good place <laughs> I to so be much. in. It's a good. Place yeah, it is to a in. good place well, to be. Dean, thank you so much for joining us today and for your insights on how the season is going to resume as ever. We kind of just hope that all things point to to black and white for Fulham and. Hopefully things work out in our favour.
0: Definitely, mate. I hope I see you back at a Fulham game very soon, or at least sometime in the near future. I wish, I wish, my friend. But I know that the cottage will be calling us home when this is all over.
1: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Fulhamish. There is more to come from us in the upcoming weeks, so do keep an eye on the channels. I've been Jack Collins. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye.